Um, let's dive in now. We can dive in this morning. Um, you know, how many of you loved the class physics when you were like in high school or in college? Anybody? JD, you're a loser. And who else is a loser? Just A bunch of nerds in the room right there, Nat. There you go. She's like, I'm super excited about it, right? So we had this idea of physics, right? It's this class that we take. And one of the two, two of the primary words that we use in physics would be dynamic and static. Do you remember those two words, right? Static would re- represent anything that, 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 that's stationary, that, that, that does not, in and of itself, does not have motion, okay? So a static, something that's static would be like a rock. A rock, unless something outside of itself exerts energy, right? It can't move anywhere. It is a stationary, static piece of something, right? That's what it is. It's just a, a static rock. It does not move. But, but in, in flip side to that, we have things that are dynamic. And things that are dynamic are things that are perpetually in motion. These are things that are morphing, they're growing, they're continually maturing, whatever it may be. These are things, right, dynamic things that are always in flux, always in motion, always moving, right? And so when I sat here, and I, when I was sitting here thinking about this dynamic of physics and static and dynamic, I thought about things in our life that sometimes are dynamic, but we have a hard time defining which ones they are. We can't figure out their dynamic or static simply by looking at them. And one of the things that we know of as being dynamic in our world is the sun, right? The sun. If you know anything about the sun, you know that the sun is dynamic. It's always growing. It's always, me, it's always changing. It's always in flux. If you get a big telescope towards it sometimes with a special like filter on it, because it will burn your eyes out. Don't look at the sun, kids, right? But it's like, you can see there's like black, there's even like these holes that kind of move around on the sun and, and all this type of stuff. There's solar flares that fly out and all this kind of jazz. And so, so the sun is like a, almost like a big, like continuing volcanic eruption of sorts, right? It's just this burning ball that's massive in size. But for us here, our experience every day of the sun is not quite as dynamic as, as that, is it? We wake up and all of a sudden, and if you get to sleep in late, you wake up and it's just a big orange circle in the sky, right? It's just a big orange. You wake up and you look and hey, there's the orange circle again. And the orange circle, it kind of moves from side to side because we know the earth rotates. So it's just this seeming like a static thing. You look at the sun, you can sit there and just kind of look at it kind of like out of the corner of your eye, right? Again, kids, don't look at the sun. Straight out, it'll burn your eyes out, right? Kind of look at the sun in the corner of your eye like this with sunglasses on. You can see it's just like it just sits there. It's like it's static in nature. But we recognize in and of itself, the sun is not static. I mean, how many of you have ever seen the pictures of the sun like in National Geographic? It's a great place to look at stuff, right? And you see like it's like this molten lava kind of coming up like this. And it's literally, you see these flares of the sun. It's like, and it kind of comes thousands of feet into the air. It's like a solar flare coming up, right? And comes back down to the point that whether we know it or not, it's dynamic even in the way that impacts us. I mean, we obviously recognize without the sun... We would not exist because it would be too cold. We would just basically die and we'd freeze to death, right? So every day we get to experience the dynamic nature of the sun's warmth that from 93 million miles away. Yes, I did my homework and checked it out, right? 93, I was a little over that, 93 million miles away from earth to sun and we feel the heat from the rays of the sun, from this, like, burning ball in the sky. And I don't know if you know this or not, but last year, this happened two or three times, 
Solar flares were so strong from the sun when they were sent out, it literally knocked out radio waves in certain countries. Australia was one of them. Literally, the solar flare went up, and for the entire day, the radio was down in Australia because 93 million miles away, this flare went up from the sun that was very, very large and knocked out all radio frequencies. It would have hit us, but it just happened to be on the other side of the world, basically, right? We were, it was the moon was facing us. And so this whole dynamic, this whole dynamic then, of the dynamic nature of the sun but in our daily experience, it's just the static thing that happens to hang in air for us. It's dynamic, yet we don't know it in that way. And so this, this, this past week, I, I was wondering, I was just wondering about the church. And I was wondering about the church. I mean, I was thinking, I wonder how the majority of the people across the world. I wonder how they view the church in a relationship of being dynamic or if they view it as being static, right? I just wonder, across the world, when is the the last time that I really heard someone talking about the dynamic nature of the church, whether in my office or or among my neighbors or or in the the media or whatever it may be. I I can't remember the last time I at least heard them talking about the church as this dynamic, morphing, growing, powerful thing, exerting energy as a whole versus more of just like a static institutional being that's really kind of past its prime. And I sat there and began to think about all these people that I'm around and, and all these things that I began to think about. I wonder really even how we at Vintage... How we view the church, if we're honest. I wonder if we come and we view it more in a, in a static definition, right? More of an institution, more of a building, something that we go to during the week. Or if church is something that's dynamic, that we recognize, that actually is always moving, it's morphing, and it's growing, and it's maturing, because the church is not a building, but it's a body of people. And I don't know about you, but I have many areas of growth that I need to mature and grow in my life. Therefore, if I'm a part of the body, which is not an institution or a place, but a people who are gathered together, then, then I must recognize if I'm growing, then, the, the, then it must be growing in and of itself, the body. Therefore, our recognition and understanding of church can't be from a static institutional place, but a growing, morphing, and maturing group of people who are moving together. You see, biblically speaking from the Greek, the, the word we use for church was ecclesia, or ecclesia, however you want to say it, right? But ecclesia, and it basically means the gathering of people together, or the gathering of the disciples of Christ. And so the idea is, we do we do our world a disservice when we ever say, I'm going to church. If we mean, I'm going to a building where they have preaching and singing and Sunday schools and ministries. That if we do that, we've created a very, very incomplete picture 
of what and who the church actually is. That we would say this morning, we have to shift from being who instead of who instead talk who, who stop talking about going to a place and about being a people. This idea of static versus dynamic. We have to be a people who recognize that because of God's grace and God's movement and God's power, we are always growing and maturing and morphing from immaturity, moving on to maturity, going from going from glory unto glory unto glory unto glory, from looking like a little like Jesus to looking more like him and acting like him and sounding like him in our walk and our journey of obedience every day of our life. And so the question we start with for you is simple. Would you define church and how you view church, at least how you express it every day of your life, not what you know with your head, but do you define it more as static or dynamic? Do you see it in yourself as part of a body of growing people? So when you say, someone say, I'm gathering with the church rather than going to the church, right? It's just this mentality, this shift that has to take place inside of you. Obviously, the church is a dynamic entity. And for us, if we're going to be a healthy organism, then we have to be a people who begin to define even church in an accurate way. So this week I was reading through the book of Acts and I came across, I would say an obscure verse, but you really can't say there's any obscure verse in scripture. But I would say it wasn't the most pronounced verse in all of the other surrounding verses. And I found it in the book of Acts, right? It's taken from Acts chapter 11. Have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11. Now before I dive into it, I want to say this. Earlier in Acts chapter 8, we, in Acts chapter 7, leading to Acts chapter 8, we see this kind of precursor to Acts 11. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen has stood before the religious leaders, and ultimately he gets killed, right? He's martyred for his faith. He gets killed because he, will, he believes in Jesus as the Christ, right? And it says in, in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says that we are told after the killing of Stephen that a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except for the apostles, were scattered in the surrounding community. So you see what happens, right? We're in Jerusalem. Stephen gets persecuted. All of a sudden, the Jews say, this is a good thing. This is like the, the, Jew, the, the, Judaism, the Jews had a great kind of like this great impetus in the moment, specifically led by Saul in the moment, and persecution arose, right? Not going to blend. It's not because they're Jews, but it's not because they just didn't. They thought that the Christian sect was a, they were a bunch of just fanatics and they were dangerous to true Judaism, right? It was, we don't want to bash the Jews for being mean to Christians. They felt like Christianity was watering down what true Judaism was all about. And so in this moment, right, Christians being killed and all of a sudden they're persecuted and they're scattered. Everywhere. You pick it up in chapter 11, verse 26, excuse me, in verse 19, says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, 
and they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he arrived. They sent Barnabas to Antioch when he arrived and saw that the grace and the power of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So what I believe we begin to see right here in the, the story of the church in Antioch, is I would say it's a picture of the church in motion, right? It's a picture of the church in motion. Or another way, it's a dyna- it's a, we see a, a picture of the dynamic nature of the church in action, right? It, here's this living, breathing organism. We see here in, in, in Acts chapter 8, they're scattered everywhere, right? And, they, and some of this group goes all the way to Antioch. The thing you recognize, Antioch was 300 miles north of Jerusalem. 300 miles doesn't seem like a lot for us today because we have things called airplanes and cars and trains. But they didn't have that back in the day. Back in the day, they had this right here. We called them feet, right? They had feet, and they would walk on these things, and they would carry these donkeys. Listen, donkeys don't walk real fast if you you don't know that, right? But they make their way 300 miles, probably by foot, all the way to Antioch. And we see what happens is this. We don't see a static thing where, because listen, if the church had been a building in Jerusalem, then it would have died in the moment because everyone would have left it. Right? But all of a sudden, this group, the church, the body, they all of a sudden, in the great diaspora, right, this great dispersion, they leave Jerusalem and wherever they go as an active being in motion, a dynamic person they're going perpetually sharing jesus wherever they go the good news of jesus the messiah the christ the one who would come in this moment right we see these guys come into antioch and they go up to the greeks these non-jews these gentiles and they begin to to share the good news of jesus with the gentiles these non-jewish greeks and scripture tells us i want you to hear this it says many believed and turned to the Lord. Do you see that? It's really important to recognize this because there are many people who believe in Jesus, but they never actually turn to him. Do you know people like that? They go, yeah, I believe in Jesus, right? I believe in Jesus, but in their lives, they never actually turn from this life. We talked about, remember, this life over here, living for self, like, listen, I can believe in Jesus and still live over here. It's an idea of, of been turning to him and leaving this life and coming over here and following him, turning to and saying, now I live for you, right? So it says, many of them believed and turned to the Lord. And the beautiful thing is this, the, the, we see the response of the apostles in Jerusalem. It was swift. They heard the stories. Listen, they heard the stories. God's, God's moving among the Gentiles and the, and the, and the, and the Greeks in Antioch. He's, they're, they're believing and they're turning to Jesus. And the apostles go, we need to send a group down there. <laughs> right? We've got to send a group. We've got to see, is this legitimate or is it not? Is this real? 
that they really believe in turn, or is there a false message, right? How many of you know, like, that's what we do. Something happens, you're like, oh my gosh, that's great that that happened, but is it authentic? Is it real? Was the message of the gospel they were preaching accurate in nature, right? So he said, let's find someone that we can believe in and that we can trust. Barnabas, the encourager, is what his name means, right? Everyone would have liked Barnabas, he'd have been really nice to you, right? Oh my gosh, you're so great. That's in Barnabas, right? So Barnabas is trusted by the apostles. They send him down into, or send him, I guess, up to Antioch. And Barnabas in verse 23, it tells us Barnabas recognized the grace of God, the power of God moving, and it caused him gladness, and he encouraged them to remain true in the Lord. And so just press pause on the whole message this morning to see the nature of, of the salvation, our journey with Jesus, right? We see the belief in him. We see the turning to him. And then we see the remaining in him. Do you see that? The belief, the turning to him, and then the remaining in him. Barnabas comes and says, listen, it's great you believed. It's great that you've turned. Now remain true. Walk in obedience. Every day is a living sacrifice. Giving yourself to Jesus every day, right? And then Barnabas says this neat thing. He says, all right, let's find the greatest person who's ever persecuted the church, Saul. And I'm going to go to his hometown. I'm going to give him a ticket, a donkey ticket, right, to hop on the donkey, and we'll walk down together back to Antioch from Tarsus, and we're going to take the next year, and we're going to disciple, we're going to invest into and disciple and teach these new followers about what it means to be a follower of the way, a disciple or one who is a follower of Jesus. So they did. Beautiful picture, right? So we see the dynamic of the church in motion, don't we? These people over here go and proclaim the good news. These leaders come over here and check on them and then say, let us invest into you, disciple you, grow you, mature you for the purpose. Then I'm obviously sending you back out because that's what it means to be a part of the body. To be a part of the body does not mean I find myself. Listen, part of the, listen, if you're a part of the body, it doesn't mean you go find yourself so that you can lie dormant and rest in the body so someone else does all the walk. No, it means we become, we're latched on as part of the body and now we have an important purpose and role to play within that ever-changing, ever-growing, morphing body, dynamic body of Christ. Okay? And so they're coming, you see this dynamic nature in Antioch, it's happening. And then something, something great happens that affected each and every single one of us. Verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's the obscure verse. That's this verse that kind of just stopped me this week when I was reading it. I want you to recognize first that the phrase itself, it fits. I mean, it's a great phrase to use to describe, to describe a follower of Jesus because to be a Christian, it simply means this. The word Christian means a follower of Jesus or one who bears the name of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, okay? So a follower of Jesus, one who bears the name of Jesus, or a disciple of Jesus. Listen, when, when Randall, when Randall and I got married, right? Her, her maiden name was Miltides, or Miltiades would have been the Greek pronunciation, but Miltides, a great, powerful Greek name, right? There was actually a, a Pope Victor Miltides back in the day, right? I mean, it's like a great line of Greek right here, right? But she got married to me, and she left that name, right? Left it here, and took up 
Hambrick and became a part of the Hambrick clan, right? She was now bearing the name of the Hambrick clan in her own name. She's now a Hambrick, right? She's sort of still a Miltitis, but really now she's taken that illegally. She has taken that name on, right? She's bearing the name of Hambrick and she is now a Hambrick forever. Praise God, right? She's bearing that name. And so in the moment that we see with Christ, it means one who bears the name of Christ. And so in Antioch, what had happened is there's this, we, this, someone or some people came alongside and said, we're going to call you one who bears the name Christ. We're going to call you as one who is a follower, a disciple of Christ. We are lumping you in to the Christ, kind of this Christ family over here. You are bearing the name of Christ, but you have to recognize that it was not an, a term of endearment. The people who came up with this name named them this because he, they didn't like them. They didn't like the name. They meant it just in a, in a very negative, in a, in a very, it's in a tearing down type way, right? They did not like the name Christian. So the idea of being called Christian was like carrying the scarlet letter. Have you ever read that book back in the day or watched the movie, right? A woman caught in adultery, they bring her before the church and said, from now on, you're going to have to bear the, the A on your chest. The red A is an adulteress, right? You are now in the camp of adulterers. And that's what defines you. It's not positive. It is definitely negative. And so in this day and age, the idea of being called a Christian took on this connotation of something negative and not positive. Why? Because someone didn't like them or what they stood for and what they believed. Warren Wearsby, a great theologian and writer, he, he said this in this thing that I read. He said, back in the day, Roman law, Roman law, this is part of the Roman Empire, right? He had Antioch as part of the Roman Empire. Roman law required each citizen to pledge his or her loyalty to the emperor. Basically like emperor worship. Once a year, the citizen would come into the temple. They'd have this incense. They'd move from here and put it here and say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Caesar is Lord. And in the moment, right, the, the, the Christians, these followers of Jesus, followers of the way, the disciples, they would come in and they would say, bow down, put the incense over here and declare that Caesar is Lord. And the Christians would come in, probably not bowing down, and they would say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And in the moment, the believers refused to bow before Caesar and the Roman officials. Sometimes they would write the name of Christ on the ground or on a wall and they would ask the Christian to spit on it. And if the Christian refused, he or she would be arrested, tried and perhaps killed. Therefore, by bearing the name of Christ or Christian, they were put to shame before their friends. Do you see it like a letter A now? You would not bow down to Caesar. You're a Christ follower. You bear the name of Christ now, and that's an insult. And so they would bear the name of Christ, and everywhere they would go, they'd be known, oh, there goes one of those Christians. Oh, there goes one of those Christians. Those Christ followers, Christian, Christian. Right? It's like even junior high all over again, but much worse. And in the moment, we see this happening. But you have to get the picture that, that in the moment, from this, this, this static verse, 
What we have to imagine then is that the, the Christians in this area in Antioch, in this, in this one year of discipleship, there must be such a, a profound movement of God's spirit and God's maturing and God's growth in them that they literally were able to stand before these leaders who could kill them and say, I, Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And all of a sudden, we see this dynamic movement through the entire city of Antioch to the point that it was so powerful and so visible that they were given a nickname. Christians. How many of you know no one gets a nickname who's not known or hasn't done something worthy of receiving a nickname? Right? You know what I'm talking about. Listen, how many of you, just kind of just to put it in perspective, how many of you remember Clyde the Glide Drexler from the Portland Trailblazers back in the day? Right? Tell me five people who played with him on his team. Name four more. Don't cheat. You were here the first service. Timothy. Someone get him out of here. Christian. No, just kidding. No, but seriously, right? No one can name it. Or how many of you, even as a Falcon fan in Atlanta, all of you who Neon Dion Sanders is, tell me ten people, tell me the other ten people who played on the defense with him for the Atlanta Falcons back in the early 90s. Now, some of you may be able to pull out some people who play with Air Jordan, right? Say like Scotty Pippen, John Paxson, Horace Grant, right? That's about as far as I can get, right? Like Bill Cartwright played also, okay? I'll get some of those. But the idea is this. They, why'd they get nicknames? Because they were so good at what they did. They were so visible that their, who they were and their visibility and their abilities, it demanded they received a nickname. Well, they had, they had other people on the court or on the field with them who, who were great players but don't have nicknames today. They're just John Paxson, right? Whoop-de-doo, right? Where's Air Jordan, right? And so the idea is that the nickname meant that there was something of visibility, something so profound about them that they, it literally it meant a nickname was given to them. Do you see the dynamic nature? Something dynamic, something changing, something morphing, something visible, something growing is happening with this group in Antioch to where everyone knew them as the Christians. I guarantee you Caesar probably knew of the Christians, this follower of Christus, right, of the Christ, because they wouldn't bow down. Why would they bow down? Because they worship someone, the Christ. What? Right? There's this whole visibility of who they are because of their belief in the dynamic nature of the relationship with Jesus that was not static, an institution that was boring and was dying, but was a dynamic group of people who were acting as a body, who were morphing, maturing, growing, expressing an obedience in their life. The good news of Jesus in them and through them everywhere they went, never bowing down to sin, never bowing down to idolatry, never bowing down to the Caesar, never bowing down to the one man, Jesus the Christ. Let me tell you something. When the church begins to embrace something along those lines, we will get nicknames too. Because there's something dynamic about people who embrace the full gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And all of a sudden, we're known as the Christian in the group, right? Oh, here comes the holy roller, right? Whatever it may be. Listen, I was talking to Jason Pinley the other day, and he was talking about our, our neighborhood. He says, well, yeah, wherever I go in my neighborhood, I'm just I'm the Christian, right? Someone talks to me like, they have to talk to me like the Christian, right? And I'm like, that is awesome! I'm known as the Christian in the group. Fantastic. Why do you always feel guilty drinking around me? Why do you always feel guilty? Sorry, I was cussing around you. I'm like, what? You know, Listen, I just love you, but just stop that. Right. But it's all dynamic, right? There's this whole thing going on. You know what I'm saying? People get around Christians. And like, how many of you have been around girls? And forgive me for saying this, right? But you get around them and they start pulling their mini skirts down. They don't know why. And I'm not, I said that half-jokingly. I mean, seriously, we've been with college students on the streets of Athens and the streets of, of Orlando, and they're, like, doing this, and they don't know why they're doing it, because Jesus is just flowing out of the group that we're with, right? Because Jesus is present, right? They're like, I don't know what's... Th- there's, there's something different about them. They're the glowing man, right? They're the burning man, whatever it may be. Who cares? They're the Christian. There's nicknames that go with us. If we are dynamic... If we were ever growing, ever morphing, ever challenged, right? Ever being, listen, expressing not dormancy as part of the body of Christ, but movement and growth. Listen, Christians should be sending out flares every day, affecting people around them, right? How beautiful solar flare goes out and everything stops in Australia, Man, I want to have a solar flare of the Holy Spirit for me. Sorry for the picture if you don't like it. A solar flare of the Holy Spirit that goes out for me that stops people in their tracks. Right? I mean, that sounds cheesy. But listen, everywhere Jesus went, demon-infested people made their way to him and sat at his feet. And they didn't know why because they were drawn to him. Are non-Christian demon-infested people drawn to you? If not, maybe you were too Static. How do we view the church? Arthur Burns, he was a chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve and ambassador to West Germany, economic counselor to numerous presidents ranging from Dwight Eisenhower to Ronald Reagan. Arthur was also Jewish. And in the 70s, he wanted to connect with some people at the White House, and he heard about this this, this once-a-week prayer breakfast that took place at the White House. And so Arthur started going. And there's a bunch of Christians, Protestants, and all of a sudden, they, and Arthur comes in, they all know him. He's, a, he's probably more powerful than they are for a lot of them, right? And he comes in, it's Arthur, and they know him as, he's Jewish. And so at the end, which is great, they're inviting him in, like as all Christians do, come on in, Arthur, right? But at the end of every, every gathering, it was always, they'd always rotate whose job it was to pray. And so, but, and so as soon as they used to get to him, they'd like, they jump over him. Because he was Jewish, they didn't want to be uncomfortable, they would make him uncomfortable. But one day, this guy came in and just said, hey, Arthur, why don't you pray for us? And we went, ah, like this. And Arthur, because, you know, Jews pray too, if you didn't know that, right? He just bowed his head, right? He bowed his head and he prayed this prayer. Lord, I pray that you would bring Jews to know Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. Finally, Lord... I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, what he was around was a static people who recognized, listen, you're praying for all this stuff, but I don't even think you know the Jesus Christ that you're praying to. I don't think you're actually connected to him, so I'm praying that you could know him too. 
You see, the static nature of our lives often is that we know about someone that we don't know, that we say we follow someone that we actually don't follow. Because here's the, I just want to say this to you just real quick in case you, it's kind of like common sense, you know, but you can't follow, you can't be a follower of Jesus unless you actually follow him. It's just one of those things. You can't be a follower of someone you don't follow. And Arthur's praying this prayer. See, as Christians, we must continually be reminded that far from having arrived, right, from getting into this place and now we've arrived, a Christian is someone who in this life is always on the road as a follower of Christ and a follower of the way. We are always growing. We're always maturing. We're morphing our life and existence as the church. And being the church cannot be static, right? Our The church is dynamic. It is like the sun. It is always growing. It's sending things out, it's morphing, it's changing, it's always moving from point A to point B. It's doing all of this stuff. It's dynamic in nature. And God is saying to us as a people, I can't have a static people any longer. I can't have you come, just come into a building and say you've been to church. You don't, you've never been to church. You're always being the church, right? It's this idea, the church is people. They're moving. They're functioning. They have a role to play. There are things that they're doing, whether small or big, if we intend them to be so, everything we do is worship before Him as we grow in this journey of knowing Him and of being like Him and growing into His image and being obedient to Him. Because every day He says, I have something for you to do today. But we're static and said, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. As if it's something that you did. You don't, I, you're not, I am a Christian. You say, I am being a Christian. I am a Christian. I'm becoming. I am. I, all those things. I'm growing. We've never arrived. See, we, like our brothers and sisters in Antioch, we must be Christians in the truest sense of the word, followers of and disciples of and ones who bear the name of Jesus so that all of our neighbors know not who we are, but who Jesus is. Everywhere that we go, there's no such thing as an introvert and extrovert in the kingdom of God. Everyone, everyone is bearing Christ somewhere on them and Jesus is wooing them to you. Why? Because God always woos broken people to himself. The end for us, the end is is this goal. Our goal is to be a dynamic church, a dynamic people, growing, morphing, investing, all of these things, right? We're growing Morphing, we are being discipled, we're growing in wisdom and stature and all these pieces. And I would say is this, if we are just static, then we are not truly who God designed us to be. See, what I believe God is doing in this season, this message of moving from static, which is not who we are, to dynamic, then we actually step into who we are in real life. What I would say is the most true person of who we are. If we live over here defeated and overwhelmed, disconnected and not following Jesus, then we are not living our real life and we are not our true selves. 
The only way we can live our real life and be our true self is over here as a dynamic part of the body of the living Christ who is always growing us, moving us, morphing us, discipling us, calling us to obedience and allowing us to shine with the flare of Jesus everywhere that we go. And what I would say this morning is this, our goal at Vintage, and the reason we're doing this small groups, this small group study, which is not, listen, it's not touchy-feely. We're dealing with idols of your heart, and we're going to name things that literally hinder God moving in your life. And every part of you and every part of the enemy which is opposed to you becoming your real self is saying, don't do that. You don't have time. You don't have energy. You're not going to know people. People are going to be mean to you, not going to be nice. It's going to be a waste of your time. All of this stuff, nothing's going to happen, whatever it may be. Because we're going to get in and say, you were designed by God with a true self in mind. And it's dynamic. This crap is getting in the way. It's getting in the way. This stuff of your life, your sin, your brokenness, your, your whatever, false worship and idol worship, whatever it may be, it's getting in the way of you being your true self and the body of Christ and serving God and having people drawn to you in a dynamic and powerful way. What I believe God is speaking to us in the study and where we're going is he's moving us at vintage to a real life. Because static is not real. He's moving us to a real life with the real self that he's designed us to be. So that all of a sudden we know we're doing things well. If people are, listen, if people call you a Christian and are repulsed by you, then you're probably still being static, right? But the idea of being a dynamic Christian is like, they're uncomfortable by this, but they can't deny they're drawn to it. They're like, I don't know, you're a Christian. Ugh. But I can't help but be listen to you. Because I really think you care about me. And the idea then for our study is this. We have to move from static to dynamic from not living for who we really are to moving into who God's designed us to be in our true self to live our real life. Our real life in the kingdom of God where we journey with him and everything that we do, if we intend it to be so, has a kingdom impact everywhere that we go. And God this morning needs to shift some things inside of us and shift who we are and shift how we view life. Because so many of us are wasting life and wasting God's time in sin and in static, immovable rockness because we're completely wasting our lives, which really is the true definition of hell. The true definition of hell is wasting the life that God has given us, not just a place that we go. Hell today on earth is wasting what Jesus has done in us, who he is in us, and wasting this intimacy we can have with him as we follow him in obedience. Don't live in hell today wasting your life. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning simply because of what you've done and because you're worthy, not because of what you will do for us someday. We worship you right now 
for being holy and set apart and completely other than. We praise you and thank you for the cross of Jesus and what you've done of opening up the pathway for us to have a relationship with you, Jesus. We, we sit here, we stand, God, in confidence of your movement. And, Father, this morning we just come into this place and saying, Jesus, have your way in us. God, would you convict us of being static and would you awaken in us, God, this, this yearning of your heart, God, to be dynamic in all that we do. Father, we just confess it as sin for wasting our life. Jesus, forgive us. But God, instead, would you awaken us to the dynamic nature of your life and therefore the life that you call us to. Jesus, we need you this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Listen, there are some of you this morning.